This podcast episode reflects the opinions of the guests and not of Brown Rudnick. This episode is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended to be construed or used as general legal advice nor a solicitation of any type. Brown Rudnick does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed in this podcast are suitable for any particular investor. Pleased to welcome Darren Wolfberg, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Blockchain Triangle, a financial technology platform based in Bermuda, to the podcast. Darren has a wealth of varied investment and finance experience, having worked at and served in management positions for investment banks, venture capital funds, and startups. Great to speak with you today, Darren. Great to be here. Thanks for your time. Fantastic. So let's let's begin. Blockchain Triangle, can you tell us what it is and how it fits into the fintech marketplace? Absolutely, Sarah. Blockchain Triangle is a registered entity. Uh, so we are one of the first broker dealers globally permitted to issue and sell digital assets. And really a focus point for what we do is at the intersection of big data So information that comes from smart meters and IoT devices and their connectivity to digital securities uh, that provides a pathway of information into investors' portfolios on a real-time basis. So when you think about fintech, we're really helping connect investors with issuers that are raising money and uh, and connecting that in a regulated framework. And how did you come up with the idea for um, Blockchain Triangle and what was your journey to where you are now? Uh, great question. So we started off coming to Bermuda uh, three years ago, actually, when we formed the company. And Bermuda was doing a lot of cutting edge activity in the landscape of digital assets. And they've become one of the first jurisdictions for uh, digital asset ecosystems. While we were going through our registration, I was connected with a professor at the University of Michigan, whose name is Peter Adrians, who is an expert in infrastructure finance. And he was doing a lot of work for the Great Lakes Water Authority, who's responsible for all of the drinking water to the cities that surround the Great Lakes. And in their effort, they had a problem that they were trying to solve. Uh, The problem was they were losing 25% of every gallon of water in transit which is a lot of water. And if anyone has any background in real estate, you would know that uh, water is the number one enemy of a real estate owner. And in thinking about how they were going to solve the problem, they first used smart meters that were at different intervals in the pipeline network to identify pressure differentials between each hop in the network to identify where there were holes in the pipeline. Peter's role was to help them identify new business models because with the capital that they needed to raise, for these assets or or, or for this pipeline, they need to be able to pay for that in the future. And one of his innovations that we've kind of, you know, took and and ran with was he was exploring, how do I use a smart meter IOT device as a measurement of revenue performance and economic output? So with that and our understanding of digital securities and, and understanding the regulated nature of assets, we really found that kernel of taking smart meters and IoT devices and connecting them to the digital security. And really one thing I'll say, and this is comparing traditional finance to to digital finance, you know, in traditional finance, you have a security and investor and in between those two are things like DTC, Euroclear and transfer agents. And they essentially sever the link between the security and the investor. In digital finance, The security and the investor are directly connected to one another. 
And as an example of blockchain uh, that, that does this, when you buy and sell a Bitcoin, there's instant settlement on that purchase or sale of Bitcoin. Same premise exists, but what that premise of instant uh, delivery does is that it, it creates a pipeline for us to send information that connects to the security directly into the investor portfolio. And then as we've learned from this, that utility has benefit not only to people that are buying and selling those securities and seeing that information on a real-time basis, but it's also helpful as a permissioning framework for information to other stakeholders, such as operators, such as insurance companies, such as credit rating agencies. And this provides a new architecture for information flow for securities to end investors. And who are the other kind of key team members helping you with this offering? We've got a great team. Uh, so uh, my co-founder, Logan Sugarman, is a chief revenue officer. Uh, we have Ben Johnston, who is our systems architect and also has a wealth of background in the renewable space. His technology background started uh, in, in the UK uh, where he helped build out railway sensor networks uh, for trains. Uh, so as a result of that, uh, that actually is some of the underlying framework that you need for what we're doing here. In addition to that, we've got Christine Campisi. Uh, she used to uh, work at J.P. Morgan and, and most recently at Accenture. At J.P. Morgan, she ran marketing for uh, TechBD, which is J.P. Morgan's uh, fintech incubator. And then beyond that, we've got great capabilities and Raj Parimi, who also co-founded the entity with us. He's head of product. We've got John Tartaglia. He's CIO and also head of uh, business continuity in, in the COO office. Grant Sperling is our chief compliance officer uh, and is also our counsel. We recently brought on uh, Allison Morrison as our money laundering reporting officer. Phil Klingenhofer, his background is both in asset management, but also he was head of infrastructure at Bank America Merrill Lynch. Uh, so we really have a seasoned team. And then at the board level, BJ Arnold ran cash equities at Deutsche Bank. And, uh, you know, my background, as you said, in venture capital at Sony, starting companies as well. And then in the financial services space, 20 years, starting at Morgan Stanley for 10 years, and then uh, BNP Paribas, where I ran cash equities, program trading, electronic trading, and futures execution. So we've got a, a very seasoned team. I dare to count the numbers of years of experience because we would sound very old. Um, but in this space of a regulated world, uh, old is a good thing. Absolutely. And sounds like you have an incredible team. What role does blockchain triangle play in this fight against climate change? If there's a gate and there's a key on the gate, I think we are the key for that gate. Uh, and what I mean by that, you know, the UN thinks that $4 trillion needs to get put into climate assets over the next 10 to 15 years to achieve uh, the net zero goals. Uh, and really, when you think about that, there's, there's two components. One is ESG and climate compliance uh, for existing assets. And then secondarily, it's how do you use capital in the most efficient way uh, so that it's the most productive. So let me touch on each aspects of that. When you're thinking about ESG and climate compliance, right now you have a broad and disparate ecosystem of ESG rules and standardizations and uh, and each person, each jurisdiction, each entity has their own methodology. And then separate from that, you also have all of the information as it pertains to carbon 
and really carbon accounting. And what we're really able to do with the smart meters and IoT devices, so if you're a corporation or if you're a government, we help you create portfolios of your assets so that as those assets uh, produce outputs, so if it's a, a toll road, if it is an EV charging station, if it is a solar farm, if it's rooftop solar, if it's an oil well or a refining facility, we can essentially take the smart meter outputs from each of those assets and organize those in a portfolio fashion and therefore be able to aggregate and reflect the impact from a climate perspective in a baseline benchmark and real-time with real-time transparency. And when we think about capital formation, the $4 trillion that needs to go into this ecosystem, you know, we think about infrastructure assets. And infrastructure assets, there's some background that you need to know about infrastructure. So if you're a big asset in infrastructure, $100 million or above, there's tons of capital for you. You have the likes of Macquarie and Case Depot and Ontario Teachers, and they'll give you as much 5 to 7% capital as you want. But when you think about the distributed energy resource ecosystem, that ecosystem is no longer about the large coal plant or the large, the large nuclear plant. It's really about subscale assets that make up a network of renewable assets. So that could be rooftop solar, that could be battery, that could be EV charging, uh, that could be wind. And it's basically all of those nodes that aggregate together into a real-time debits and credits framework of energy consumption or uh, energy provisioning to that network. And when you think about subscale assets, subscale assets have a higher cost of capital. So instead of them paying for their capital in the 5 to 7% range, they're typically paying for their capital in the 10 to 20% range. So when you think about that and you're a subscale asset and you're paying a lot of money, one of the things that we've looked at, and this is an analogy that I'll, that I'll reference. So the analogy is mortgage-backed securities. Mortgage-backed securities is one line of securitization with thousands of mortgages that make up that one line of securitization. And what we're able to do is essentially because we can show real-time uh, energy uh, transfer from one entity to the next, we can pull that into that security and that asset and also pull in the PPA or the offtake economics. And that essentially says, uh, am I, how, how many dollars am I getting for every unit of energy that is transferred? So based on the smart meter output that comes back into the token, we can then derive not only how much power is going from A to B, but what is the cash flow of that asset? And what is the indicative yield of that asset? And what that does for us and why this is fit for purpose for the distributed energy resource ecosystem, I'll compare it again to mortgage-backed securities. Mortgage-backed securities is one payment once a month for however many years that that loan is in effect. But what we're able to do is that, again, with distributed energy resources, every day is a different box of chocolates with regard to how much energy is being produced and being sent to the grid. So I'll use a, a solar farm or wind farm as an example. For solar, in December, you have less hours of sunlight. In June, you have more hours of sunlight. Then you also need to throw in that some days are cloudy, some days are rainy, and some days are really sunny. 
So every day, again, is a different box of chocolates with regard to what is going to be the power output from that renewable source. And again, what we're able to do is pull in from the smart meters every day all of that information so that an end investor and an end stakeholder can see that performance. And what that allows us to do is then take multiple assets and create a portfolio of anywhere from one to five to 10 to a thousand, and if not more, and aggregate all of those assets into a large portfolio, which then allows you to bring down cost of capital. So we think that that's one tremendous benefit that we can bring. The second aspect, and this really speaks to the operating costs of that asset, I'll use a muni bond as an example. A muni bond, you have an investor, they'll make three, four, or five percent depending on the risk of the municipality. But they're also spending 100 to 250 basis points on administration reporting and trustee services. Because we're breaking it down to ones and zeros, and we have all those data points that are being collected on a real time basis, we think we can reduce that cost by anywhere between 70 and 80%, which then lowers that cost of ownership for that asset from an operations and management perspective. So when we think about $4 trillion that needs to go into these assets, we think we could do it better, cheaper, and faster. And oh, by the way, we're a broker-dealer and can help place that capital into these assets. There are quite a lot of misconceptions and, and confusion around blockchain relative to your business, but actually just generally, I find. What do you think the biggest misconception is? And what is the fact versus fiction? I would say the biggest misconception, and, and I think it derives from really the first major use case of blockchain technology, and that's obviously Bitcoin. At its simplest form, uh, you know, in information technology, you've had databases that have been operating for uh, probably almost 50 years, going back to the Second World War. So not 50 years, you're, you're talking about 80 years that databases have been used. And really, one of the things that blockchain is, it is the next generation of database technology. So think about how databases have been used for the last 80 years and really what this new version of database technology does is that historically old databases were two-dimensional. So you had an x-axis and you had a y-axis. Blockchain gives you a z-axis and provides you three-dimensional database that can be used for software purposes. So when I think about a mortgage-backed security, as an example, and how you have one mortgage-backed security line and you have thousands of mortgages underneath it, and you think back to the financial crisis of 08-09, the big issue was no one knew what loans were in what portfolios. If you had blockchain technology back then, it would have not created a seizure in the financial markets because everyone would have had the data. The main misconception about blockchain, it's not about currency. It's not about Bitcoin. It's about a three-dimensional database, and it's the next generation of database technology. And the same way that you know, the internet came out and it was, you know, many were, were naysayers of this technology. Who's going to use the internet you know, back in, in 1992, 1993, 1994? And then Netscape came out and they provided a utility on how the internet can be viewed and used. And databases were part of that. 
uh, in this instance, there's two key innovations. One is the 3D nature of the database. And the second is the smart contract. And the smart contract, from my vantage point, is also just as important from a legal and from a security standpoint, not just for a cybersecurity, but from a financial security standpoint. Because a financial security is an agreement between two parties. And a smart contract allows you to have a real-time cap table that as someone buys or sells, you're then able to see who is the most recent cap table owner. So how we think about it and how we use that in our architecture, because the smart contract has that real-time cap table, as someone buys or sells their position in a security, that also provides the user permissioning of information for a user that's allowed to see that information. So with that, that's how we're able to provide real-time information to investors on the performance of assets. So I hope that explains some of the misconception of blockchain and why uh, we view this as a core technology, not as a currency. No, absolutely. And, and blockchain really is a, it's a global technology. So relative to blockchain triangle, where have you found most of the investors and issuers are based and what do you think the market opportunity is? So from our clients, a lot of our clients are clients that have uh, that are part of this ecosystem. So they're uh, technology clients that are in AI, they're in network software, they're in NFTs, they're in fintech payments, they're in solar, they're in the renewable space. They are communities that are trying to raise money for solar projects. They're governments that are trying to baseline and benchmark the resilience uh, and creating these digital twin ecosystems of assets so that they can uh, plan and budget and uh, determine how they create a resilient ecosystem for their citizens. Um, and then there are also corporations that are getting a better handle on their ESG footprint. So, you know, one example is uh, we have a potential client that we're working with now. And we're excited to work with them. And they are in the distribution business. And they are looking to put solar on the roof of all of their distribution facilities and then convert all of their distribution vehicles to electric and then use the power from the top of their buildings to provide the power to their cars. What we're able to do, and, and this is a key part of ESG, is baselining and benchmarking where you are today. And as you add these new assets to your ecosystem, be able to show to various stakeholders what is the impact of the change that you have brought on to become more resilient from an energy perspective. And from an investor side, we found a lot of interest from a range of investors. Uh, and those can be individuals that are looking to allocate from their self-directed 401ks or IRAs. Uh, certainly VCs are interested in this space. Private equity firms are very interested in the space because they're always looking to squeeze out efficiency and, and identify business process improvement. And then you have large pension funds uh, and large asset managers uh, and how we're working with those entities. Um, a lot of those entities are now striving to become ESG and climate compliant. So if you are an asset manager and you have a portfolio of a thousand different entities or securities, and let's say a percentage of those are public and a percentage of those are private, and you have a mandate to become ESG and climate compliant, 
you need to be able to do a bottoms up analysis of the ESG and climate impact across all those assets. And you're not going to be able to do that unless you're pulling in all of the performance information for all the underlying assets. The benefit for us is, again, by using blockchain and having an API network of smart meters and IoT devices, we are fit for purpose for aggregating all those data points and being able to surface that information into portfolios or portfolios of portfolios of assets. So therefore, that person who is responsible for ESG and climate compliance is comfortable and knows that they can deliver that information with confidence because they're pulling all the information from all the assets. So from that perspective, that's how we look at our clients and how we think about our investors. And, and quite frankly, they can be on both sides of the table, which is actually kind of exciting because you may uh, get an introduction on one side of the table to provide them a digital twin system or to help them raise money. Uh, alternatively, uh, they then find out, well, shoot, I can use this in other parts of my business. Um, so we, we've had some really rewarding conversations with not only our issuers, but our clients, uh, but also investors that are looking to be part of our ecosystem. Great. Thanks for that. Um, so in terms of blockchain triangle, how does that really stand out from the rest of the market? Because obviously this is kind of the buzz sector of the minute. Yeah, great question. So you know, there, through this process, I've learned a few things. So first of all, you know, ESG and climate compliance are not one and the same. So when you think about ESG, ESG is about baselining, benchmarking, and it also has to do around a lot of qualitative inputs that then create a measurable output. And really climate compliance is really getting into all the nitty gritty of all the ones and zeros and all the data that make up the impact from a carbon footprint. And ultimately, is that going to solve us from getting to that one and a half degree increase Celsius? And from our perspective, we think that we're, we're solving a different problem than the ESG market is solving today. And, and quite frankly, the ESG market has gone 80% of the way there. And really that last 20% is probably the hardest 20%. And that's where we excel. So from that standpoint, we play a role in being able to uh, surface and visualize all of that data that's needed for climate to make an impact. And when you also think about how we stand out, there's not a lot of broker dealers out there that can transact in digital assets. So the fact that we're able to facilitate capital placement, the fact that we're able to show real-time data on the performance of assets that's a swim lane that we're the only ones in. And we're super excited to be in that swim lane because that's the patents that we filed. So we filed patents that connect smart meters and IoT devices to digital securities for the sole purpose that it's the most efficient and lowest cost effective way to show all of this granular data to investors on a real-time basis. And in my 20-year experience being in financial services, what I've learned is investors they decide how the market evolves and how the market becomes more innovative. Decimalization was driven by investors. Dark pools was driven by investors. ESG compliance is being driven by investors. And we feel that if we're on the right side of investors, then we're on the right side of innovation and market adoption. So that's why we think we stand out from the rest of the market. And in, in terms of funding, 
what have you raised thus far? How much are you looking to raise? And what are your plans with the capital? How will you deploy it? Thus far, uh, we've raised about $900,000. We brought in the first $600,000 in May of this year. Uh, That was on a convertible note, uh, which had terms of uh, a million dollar raise, 10% discount to a qualifying round with a valuation cap of $12.5 million. Uh, so we are moving into our seed slash series A fundraise. Uh, we're looking to raise anywhere between three and seven million dollars. And with that, we're looking to apply that to further technology development, building out our API smart meter ecosystem so that there's uh, ample smart meters and tools that different issuers and, and different corporate partners and government partners can leverage. Uh, and then continue to build out the team. We already have a great team that's in place, and now it's about scaling the team. We've already have a billion dollars of issuance uh, in the pipeline, uh, and we need talented bankers. We need talented software salespeople. We need talented technology developers to work with our existing team and help us realize this and get to that next stage. Uh, so we're very excited for that. You know, when thinking about the breaking out the percentage and use of proceeds, uh, about. 30% is going to technology, 30% is going to team, 15% is going to regulatory requirements, uh, and then 15% to sales and marketing. And with that, we think we, we create the right foundation. Uh, and when we think about the market, uh, the infrastructure market and, and climate is, is really a subset of the infrastructure market. The infrastructure market is massive. Uh, every year, you're looking at $3 trillion that gets spent in the infrastructure market. And then on top of that, you have all of the existing assets that are in market. And we could save the world a whole lot of money. We can save governments a lot of money. We can save corporations a lot of money. Uh, And really, it's just really getting in front of them, walking them through the logic. And once we do that, people understand firsthand the benefits. So we're excited to continue to tell the story and evangelize this to many market participants that that we know today and, and those that we don't know. And what's your growth strategy for blockchain triangle in the near and in the short term? Yeah, so our growth strategy is to really get our first issuances up and running and on the platform and getting our first digital twins into market. Uh, so when we're thinking about uh, issuance, you know, we want to process $4 trillion of climate assets. Uh, we're, so what, one of the things that we're doing is uh, we, we are obviously presenting at COP26 uh, with green backers. Uh, we were also selected to participate in the CivTech Alliance. Uh, the CivTech Alliance is a 14 government program, including uh, the likes of U.S., uh, Brazil, Australia, Germany, Spain, Denmark, Belgium, the U.K., Scotland, Ireland. Uh, and, and I'm missing uh, countries that are part of this alliance. Um, frankly, simply from serving that ecosystem, we have plenty of, of wood to chop. Uh, that that will help us achieve our near and, and short-term goals, um, we think we can actually achieve profitability pretty quickly uh, because our business model is twofold. Uh, first is uh, SaaS technology uh, fees, so software as a service technology licensing fees. That includes for registration of assets, that includes for our digital twins and for our issuers. And then if we place capital, the capital placement fees uh, as a registered broker-dealer permitted to issue and sell digital assets, uh, we have a very efficient business model to really capture uh, on both sides of the ledger. So uh, from that perspective, that's how we're looking at the near future uh, and really scaling the team based on 
the different sector needs, whether that's solar or wind or toll roads uh, or waste to energy. Um, we've got a great core team now, and now building out the rest of that team is, is really part of that uh, short-term and, and near-term uh, focus. Is there anything that surprised you um, when you transitioned from the institutional investment side of things to the startup world that may be beneficial for other investment professionals that are thinking about making the switch? So I'd say that um, I didn't have a lot of surprises only because I've, I've started probably three or four other companies before. Um, I had many surprises for those. Uh, so at this point, I consider myself pretty well seasoned. Um, so I'll say some surprises that... Uh, that, uh, that, that, that maybe have evolved over time. Uh, and then some of the surprises that I experienced on, on the first companies that I started. Uh, one of the biggest things, and this is probably to the first company I started, which was Broadform, which stood for Broadband Platform. Uh, that was back in 1999, taking the functionality of a PC, making it web-based. So whether you're at home at school, your friends house the library, you can access your information applications from anywhere. Um, at that point in time, I was scared that we would be able to deliver the technology that we envisioned. Uh, and I was 24 years old at the time. And, you know, we were doing some very innovative things, uh, no different than some of the innovative things that we're doing today with, uh, with Blockchain Triangle. But it turned out that technology was the easiest part. And what was really the hardest part uh, was people. And as a 24-year-old and, and never being in a management capacity before and never working at a large organization before, you don't have those tools uh, at your fingertips on different reps of, of how to manage uh, talent and how to manage people and how do you create the right incentives, uh, both for uh, people and performance, but also the right ecosystem for them to operate and live in. Um, so I, I would say that um, you know, technology is probably the easiest part of what you have to do as an entrepreneur. Uh, and it's really finding the right people, finding the right uh, structure to operate in. And then I, I would say, you know, the difference between then and now um, is that companies have to be much further along uh, when they're ready for capital. Uh, and that was very different than, you know, back in 1999. You know, we had a business plan and we were able to raise, you know, a few million dollars simply on a business plan. Uh, today, I mean, we we brought in our first capital in May of this year, and that was after we've already been in business for two and a half years. Uh, so being able to raise that capital uh, at the right threshold for us was important. Uh, we had just received our registration to become a registered entity with the BMA. We'd also just signed a contract with the government of Bermuda to build a platform called Invest Bermuda, which we're very excited about. Uh, and, you know, just to touch on that for a second, that's to help uh, startups and uh, and help fund infrastructure uh, projects in a public-private partnership format, where again you are providing uh, democratized access of capital to opportunity. Uh, so I, I'd say you know um, people is is always a tricky one. I I, I feel so uh, happy about the team that we have today. It is an exceptional team versus the team that I started with when I was back and I was 24. Um, and I would add that, you know, the, the times are different. Um, you need to be much more efficient. You need to be, uh, much more prudent with your use of capital. 
And I see a lot of startups that spend money on things that they shouldn't be spending money on. And oftentimes you have this mismatch of scaling out your sales team and, and scaling out your support team before you even have a technology because technology always takes twice as long and is, is twice as expensive. Having startups and, and working at large institutions, you're given some of that perspective. So I think from today, uh, I have a, a much different set of concerns and on what I'm trying to solve for than I did when I was 24. So that's really fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing all your insights, Aaron. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out? Uh, great question. So there's a few different ways that they can reach out to me. First on LinkedIn, you know, Darren Wolfberg under Blockchain Triangle. That's one way. Just shoot me a message and happy to connect with you. My email is darren at blockchaintriangle.io. That's another way. Uh, and then through our website, uh, www.bctriangle.com. Uh, you're able to connect with us and, um, you know, we look forward to hearing from everyone, whether you're an investor, an entrepreneur, an issuer, you know, a, a municipality that's that's looking to uh, better organize their infrastructure. Or if, if someone's just trying to figure out, Darren, I'm, I'm not quite sure what we should be doing here. Do you have any ideas? Uh, and that's really how we, we come to just problem solve for our clients, you know, whether it's help with structuring or or help organizing data. Uh, I think we can really help uh, a number of firms really become much more productive. Thank you, Darren, for joining us today. And Greenbackers also for putting together the Super Pitch. Be sure to check out all of the Super Pitch companies at greenbackers.com. If you have feedback on today's episode, please contact communications at brownrudnick.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.